happy for you. Good morning, FCC. Hey. Let's try that again. Good morning, FCC Church. Good morning, morning, morning. There we are. Welcome to another wonderful Sunday morning here at FCC. Could you please stand up and worship along with us? Jesus, he's to my sins are gone, and I 
Genesis 126 says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the, of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, that we get to worship the creator of heaven and earth. And Lord, we're here to lift up Jesus today. And I pray, Lord, that what we give to you today is an extension of the life that we strive to live for you each and every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Glad that you've chosen to join us today as we worship the Lord together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card this morning. And if you're all watching us online, we ask that you do the same thing electronically. And before we continue our singing this morning, we want to give you about three minutes to go around and say hello to somebody. Try to say hello to somebody you haven't spoken to this morning. Oops. Okay. Go ahead. Should, yeah, nobody should be touching that. So I'm wondering. You want to do it right now, but I got a short, I got a smaller. I was, I was about to say, I was thinking about not today, but relocating it back behind where yeah. it just doesn't get touched. Yeah, good idea. Because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, did, it, did, the, did the reader for that get bumped or something? No, what I did is I hit the, I, I hit a wrong button. That was me.
10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Happy Sunday! You know, it wouldn't be a Sunday if we didn't have technical difficulties. <laughs> okay. But I'm just glad to see that everybody's like, um, you know, having, having a good time, just saying hi to everybody. And uh, hopefully you said hi to somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while. Worship along with us with the way. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. You are my portion. You are all I love. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. true the life I believe through every blessing through every promise through every breath I take I believe that you are provider you are protector you are the one I love I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you, and you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come too, because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come too because they can't stay long. I believe you are the way, the truth, the lie. I believe you are. 
day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me wanna change. And I don't wanna abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me wanna change. And I don't wanna abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me wanna change. Your forgiveness. It's like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears. It's like holy water. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony. Once again, um, as Miss Sherry and Miss Donna come makes their way up to the platform, um, we have a special song to perform for y'all. Lead me home. 
the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with, with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart then I shall mount in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. That's really pretty. Appreciate the work they put into that. <laughs> Woo. Good thing it's not glass. Well, today we're going to continue in our Core 52 series. We're in week two, and today we're going to look at, I believe, one of the most crucial questions we need to ask in life, and quite simply it is, who am I? And how would you answer that question if somebody said, who are you? Where would you start? You'd probably give your name, maybe your occupation. But how much of the answer is about you as an individual or is about your relationships that you form? For instance, would you say you're a husband, a wife, parent, grandparent, whatever? How you answer the question, who am I, comes from your worldview. In other words, how you see the world. This is yet another reason that, that how you form your, world, your worldview is so important. It's vital because from your worldview, everything else comes. Science has tried to answer the question from a viewpoint where, they're, where they start at is there's no God, there's no creator, God doesn't exist. And so the worldview that they're trying to, to give people is one that basically says, 
it was an all it was either here by accident or it was in cause first cause but they go from the premise that there's no creator on july 17 excuse me this on july 7 2012 there was a prominent prominent group of scientists they released the cambridge declaration on consciousness now doesn't that sound fancy which states that human beings are not unique in any way that matters in other words there's nothing special about being a human being humanity no longer occupies a special place in the natural order of things ingrid newkirk the founder of PETA, declared this a rat is a pig is a dog is a boy there is no difference. That's scary. Many scientists and philosophers are skeptical about whether human life has any special meaning or intrinsic value. Now think this one through for just a minute. Well, let me give you this other quote from MIT physicist Jeremy England. He argued that the purpose of human existence is, quote, to use up energy in the universe. Okay? So you're not special, you're not created, there's nothing different about you. A rat is a pig. Is a you know now if you put a rat as a pig and anyway, um, you've been around kids. They're messy, even girls. Everybody, you say girls are so neat. No, they're not. They're messier than boys. But uh, and then clear to the point where you know why you're here. To burn energy in the universe. Now, that's a sad commentary, to boil us down as accidental energy burners. Now think about this for a minute if that is where your worldview begins now all of a sudden disposing of life in the womb is no big deal because there's nothing special about it. it could be a rat a pig a dog doesn't matter and then in many countries now as you get older because of the social systems they use to pay for uh, medical attention when you get to a certain age they'll either start denying you stuff that you need or they'll say, you know what, it'd just be much better if you just ended your life right now. You're a burden. Because when you start off with the fact that there's no value to life, you won't value life. And then you can justify it. Nazi Germany is an extreme example. They didn't value human life. How else could you exterminate, what, six million people? Because you don't value life. You know, the United States and a few other countries, when we go to war, one of the things that we do, obviously, hopefully, we want to win but we also, why are my slides moving? Oh. <laughs> but we also um, don't want to go in and just indiscriminately kill people. We try to limit what the collateral damage. We try to limit what's going on with what we call civilians. Because in this country, we still have a semblance of valuing life. Well, I wonder why a teenager would take their life when things get tough. Well, they would because that worldview says you're here by a mistake, an accident. You're just here to burn energy. There's no purpose to anything. So why go through it? I wonder why, with, wonder why anybody with that outlook when things get tough don't just take their life because there's no reason not to. Because their life's going to end at some point, so why not now? That's sad. That is sad. Our society is entering a culture-wide identity crisis. Folks, we can't even define what a woman is anymore. And by the way, for you ladies, that's insulting, in my opinion. You all should be up in arms over that, that, we can't, that guys can decide they're women. And they're, because, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. We've lost our source of identity. 
And now we're trying to replace it with such things as pleasure, power, environmentalism, which we should be conscious of what we do with our planet. And on my favorites, identity politics. We have, to, we have to pick somebody because of their skin color or their culture instead of who's the best. It's sad. If no one put us here, then what we have to realize is we aren't here for any sort of meaningful purpose. Who we are and why we here are here really doesn't matter anymore. It's irrelevant. If we're here by an accident of nature, then there's no good answer to who we are and why we're here. However, if we're here by choice, God created Genesis 1-1 instead of chance. <laughs> that changes everything. Because now we're here, we have a focus, a purpose, identity, and reason for life. The opening chapters of the Bible in Genesis unequivocally affirm our true identity as people. We are a creation of God. The overwhelming message of the book of Genesis is we're here by choice, God created, not by chance, God here accidentally. We are here because what, why? God put us here. And not only that, he wanted us here. He didn't say, oh man, I accidentally made those people. Now it's going to be a mess. He wanted us here. Of all the life on this planet, Humanity is exceptional. We hold a special place in the universe and are categorically and essentially different from all other species. We're in our Core 52 series, and in this series we're exploring 52 of the most important passages of Scripture. And if you will take the time, you know, the 15 minutes a day, five days a week in our Core 52 material, by the end of it you're going to have a good grasp of about 80% or better of Scripture. And you'll, you'll, it'll help you unlock many things maybe you didn't understand before. By understanding these verses in the eternal word of God, we aim to increase your overall biblical knowledge. We're trying to grow, help you grow spiritually and to increase your intimacy with God because as you get to know God more, you can be closer to him. Last week, we saw that creation shows us that God created all of us and to do, or all of this, not just us, and to do that, to be able to speak it into existence, by definition, means you're powerful, that you've got a purpose, and that we have the same thing here. We have purpose. This morning, our core passage and memory passage for this week is Genesis 1.26. And as we look at Genesis 1.26 and a few other passages, we're going to see three essential truths that we need to understand from the creation account that will help us to identify Get to, get, to get a proper sense of identity so that we can answer the question, who am I, without, without hesitation. So we're going to begin this morning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It says this, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first part of the answer to the question, who am I, is quite simply this. You were created in God's image. Now, our memory verse says that God created humans in his image. Verse 27 punctuates that point by saying that God created humans in his own image. 
in the image of God, he created them, so he said it a different way. And then, just in case we missed the point, and male and female, he created them. So both males and females, humanity, is created in the image of God. Therefore, the first part of the question, who am I, is simply this. Your identity is found in God. Well, what's this mean? Well, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 makes it very clear that we, didn't, that we did not evolve from some other form of life. And we hit on this a little bit last week. A primate, a primate did not become pregnant and one day birthed a human. It's like, why is our baby, why is our baby hairless? Why, why is it doing these things? You know, the monkeys aren't sitting there like, I don't know what happened here. What is this? And it's defiant. But anyway... We also learned last week that when God created, what did he do? Each species was to reproduce after its own kind. Cats have cats, dogs have dogs, monkeys have monkeys, sheep have sheep, humans have humans, and so on and so forth. I find it interesting that God saw fit to include that little tidbit of information in the creation account. I mean, it seems self-evident, but God knew something that we didn't. He knew that humans would try to X him out of the equation and say, well, no, God didn't create you because, see, if God created you, it changes your life because now you've got a responsibility to that creator. But if you're here by accident or just sprung forth from a monkey, you have no responsibility for anything. Do whatever you want or whatever you can get away with. You can do it. But God knew that was going to happen. And he wanted us to realize, no, humans, you are not some cosmic accident. Or no, you didn't accidentally one day, wasn't planning on this, but, you know, but these animals that sprung up from you know, nothing with no help, all of a sudden one day they birthed a human. And then, by the way, they also had to birth a, a human male and a human female so they could have more humans. Most people don't think about that. It's like anything that evolves. You realize that both, of the, the, both the sexes in each species had to evolve at the exact same time, at the exact same moment. They can't reproduce. People don't think about that. But anyway, now, in this passage, it says, let us create man, mankind, humankind, mankind, in our image. Now, the us and the our refers to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Some commentators say, well, no, that hour that he's talking about, that us, is God's consorting with the angels. Now, the problem with that is the angels are another created being. We don't know when they were created, but Psalm 148 and many other passages tells us that they were created. They were not eternal. They were not uncaused first causes. When we have children, the child had, my girls have my DNA and Robin's DNA. And so, and they even thankfully look like their mother a lot. Oh, man, they'd be scary looking if they look like me. Well, they look like their mother a lot. So when, when our girls get around us, you know, they'll say, hey, you're, that, you're all our sisters, because my wife looks really young. And like, who's that old dude with you, with you Robin? But uh, the, the thing is, they look like us. Why? Because in their, every cell, they have, my, they have my DNA, her DNA. That's how it is. Well, see, where did that come from? My daughters are in our image. With God, we are created in his image. Now, it probably doesn't mean that we physically look like him. I mean, I, we don't know for sure, but he probably doesn't look quite like we do. He probably looks a lot better. But it goes much deeper than the physical. God, when God created everything else, no other part of creation did it say, God said, let's create the animals in our image. Let us create the trees in our image. Let us create the earth in our image. It didn't say that, only humans 
So how was Adam different from the rest of creation that was not created in the image of God? In Genesis 2-7, we find a little bit of a hint. This is interesting because I never really thought about the depth of this before. The Lord God formed man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See, the other parts of creation, God said, here it is. But notice what he did with mankind. He formed him. He made him. You know, have you ever taken clay? I've, I've done it before and it looked horrible. But you form something and you make it. See, God didn't speak humans into existence. He formed them. He put thought into them. He made them. He fashioned them. And then what did God do? He breathed the breath of life into them. Our life comes directly from God. It says God breathed into Adam the breath of life. In the Hebrew, the word for breath is the same word as spirit. So you could read it this way. You could see that God breathed in him the spirit of life. And we get this from God. Now, what does this mean when he says that we're created in God's image? There's a lot of layers to that answer. But the basic meaning is we have, the divine, we have divine characteristics that God has that the rest of creation does not. Now, we're just going to look at three because there's many of them. But three of them we're going to look at. The first one is time. As living humans, as humans, we broker in time. We look at our watches, our clocks. Young people, you have to Google what a watch is. I don't know if they wear those anymore. You should. And as a matter of fact, when you go for a job interview, you wear a watch. It will actually help you. Um, we, so we set alarms. We think, oh, man, it's... Uh, it's 12 whatever, which it's not. Uh, we need, he needs to be wrapping up. I still have another hour, by the way. Um, we, 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 we say, hey, it's noon. It's time to eat. It's 5 o'clock, or for some people, 4 o'clock, because the, the, uh, the senior discount at Golden Corral used to be at 4 o'clock. And then you've got, okay, i got to wake up at a certain time. I have to go to work at a certain time. I have to do this at a certain time. We broker in time. And by the way, time's our most valuable commodity. What time does, being able to broker in time, allows us to meditate on the past and to plan for the future. See, the animal kingdom doesn't meditate on the past. They don't really plan for the future. I mean, some of them, you know, ants and stuff will store things up, but that's programmed into them. And see, God brokers in time. And if you look at Scripture, even though God transcends time, he also brokers in time. It'll say, you know, at the right time, Jesus was born. And you can see throughout Scripture about timing, timing, timing. My cats, for instance, they don't wear watches. They don't have, they don't have uh, phones. They do have an iPad, by the way. Um, they don't have clocks. They have no concept of time. If they did, they probably wouldn't sleep 15 hours a day. They do get conditioned, though, when it's time to get wet food. They know about the time they, they're conditioned but they don't know, they don't say, hey, Dad, it's 5 o'clock, time to feed me. You know, they, they, they just do. And another thing is they know when I get this little, little step stool out and put it on the floor at a certain spot, they know they're going to get squeezy treats. And man, no matter where they are, they come running for that. They just know. They're conditioned. But they don't have a concept of time. I've seen videos of people with their dog. They're, they would walk out of the house, the dog's all sad, and then 30 seconds later, they come busting through the door, the dog is going crazy because like, I haven't seen you in six years. Where have you been? It's been 30 seconds. They don't have a concept of time. And humans broker in time. The animal kingdom doesn't. They don't have that. The second characteristic is beauty. 
No other animal creates art and beauty like humans do. Now, spiders do build very intrinsic-looking uh, webs, but they're not driven by beauty. It's imprinted within them. They don't go to web-spinning school and learn how to do this. They just do it. Beavers build dams. They don't go to beaver, beaver school and learn how to build dams. Birds build nests. It's programmed in them. But you'll notice when that beaver builds a dam, he doesn't paint it. You don't go into his little den. He's not got artwork hanging up through the, through, the, through the thing. Or when a bird builds a nest, you know, he doesn't say, you know, I'm going to take this design here, and I tell you what, you know, we're going to put a little roof on it here, and we're going to put a little, a little yellow on the walls. And, no, he just builds a nest. Huh. I would venture to say that almost everyone in here has some sort of art in their home. Or you've, you coordinate everything in the house. You know, me, I don't care as long as the couch is coming. I really don't care what it looks like. My other half, she's a little more into that coordination stuff, which is good. It keeps us from looking tacky, I guess. But we, we do things like that. And the other thing is we notice the beauty of the opposite sex. We're attracted. A lot of times that's why we get married. We're like, man, she's hot. Oh, and I like her too. It's a, it's a bonus, you know, it's great. But the animal kingdom, it's not like the tomcat when it comes that time of the year is not looking at five female cats saying, which one am I going to choose? I need to go on a game show here and pick the one I want. No, he's just ready. It's go time for him. He has no concept. He don't care. Now, I do know animals are attracted to color, but it's different. They don't appreciate the beauty. They don't sit there. That Tom doesn't sit there and look at that female and say, man, she is fine. He's like, it's just go time. Humans, you know, like I look at my wife and, yeah, she's fine. I'm happy. I'm, I'm thrilled every time I look at her because I appreciate that beauty. God created that. I imagine when Eve was made, she was fine. She was, probably, she was perfect. And the other thing about beauty is we work hard to maintain it. You know, we just, what, a year? I can't remember, at least track, a year or so ago, we painted the interior of the house. I thought the interior of the house looked fine. I liked the color of the interior of the house. But we wanted to paint it because, did I say we? Yeah. <laughs> One time she told me, she said, we're going to paint the house. I said, no, we aren't. Somebody else is going to paint it. <laughs> Jeff's not painting it. But we do this, and, and you, know, we, you know, we dress, we try to dress nice because we're trying to, to look good. We try to maintain that beauty. You know, the coyotes, I don't know how many you hear them, but I know in my neighborhood I can hear them in the wash howling at certain times of the night. They don't go out at the, at the sunset and sit there with their little coyote buddies, Wiley and all the group, and say, hey, Wiley, man, this is just such a beautiful Arizona sunset. I'm so glad we live here. They don't get their little cameras out and snap pictures and put it on Instagram and everything. They don't, they don't give it a thought. But we will, you'll go on Facebook, I've seen it lately, all these sunset pictures and they are gorgeous. And you're like, wow, that's pretty. We appreciate beauty. We, we contemplate beauty. And music. People say birds sing. No, they really don't. They call. Whales don't really sing, they call, they're communicating the way they communicate. But the bird doesn't say, hey, I got a new rock medley to share with you guys today, and he starts tweeting out, you know, in a, in a rock fashion, or he starts tweeting a rap version or something. They just sing what's implanted into them. We make music that, uh, that comes from emotion, that stirs emotion, that's got beauty to it. I've never seen a bird paint starry sky, or star, starry night, I'm sorry, starry night or anything, any, any of those things. We do this stuff, we create, to cre we do this to create, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but we create for the sake of creating. We love beauty. And the third area is language. Now, animals in the, in, animals in the animal kingdom do 
communicate, but for survival. I keep seeing this stuff about cats. They say that other cats really don't meow to other cats. They say it evolved so they can talk to humans. I don't know. I wish mine would talk English because then I could know what she's wanting. But the thing is, we communicate, though, to express ideas and to share thoughts. We have a great thought, and we're like, oh, yeah, I want to share this with you. And so communication, language for us, is a creative drive that we can't get enough of. It always intrigues me when I hear people from foreign countries speaking, and I think, why don't you just speak English? It'd be a lot easier, and it's an easier language to learn than French and all these others, I would think, but apparently not. If It depends on where you live. But we do that we use our language not to just survive, but to thrive, to bring joy, to bring beauty, to bring creativity, poetry, all these things. The animal kingdom doesn't do that. They communicate when they have to, to survive. Let's look at verse 26 again. God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, uh, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move on the earth. So the second implication of our image is that we're created for a God-given purpose. Life isn't meaningless. Life isn't for nothing. Life isn't about, becoming, about coming from a monkey, burning energy, and then dying. That is sad. But God created us for a purpose. For a few, actually. One of them is found in Genesis 1.28. Speaking of humanity. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. We're not some accident of nature who by chance made it to the top of the food chain, who evolved faster than the others. But God created us for a purpose. We're not just taking up space and burning energy. We're here for a reason. Our purpose, in part, that God created us for is contained in that word rule. And that word rule in verse 28 means that we've been given dominion over the natural world. And so we are called to have that dominion. This world is our, is our domain. God gave us this world as a gift, as you would give an artist paint and a canvas to do something beautiful with it. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have rule over the animals. God is talking about building a civilization, making something out of this world. God never intended for this world to remain some pristine, untouched garden. Maybe some of you remember, it's probably back to your grandparents and for some of you youngsters, if you knew your great-grandparents, it used to be people would buy furniture and just keep it wrapped in that thick plastic. Did anybody have that in their house? Know somebody that had it? It's ridiculous. Why Do you want to sit on that and sleep on that, particularly and sweat on that and slide off of that and get stuck to that? When we first got married, one of, or did you have a room in your house that you had it all beautified, but nobody could go in? Okay. No, don't sit on that. One of my supervisors had a room that they had beautiful furniture. It had some age on it, but it had never been used. So when we got married, we bought this furniture at a good price, and it looked really good. But do you, in your house, do you buy your house to say, hey, you know, don't touch anything? You bought it to use. When I bought my truck, it had, and I'm really particular about my vehicles, it had scratches on it because the person that owned it actually didn't use it as a Barbie truck. They used it for what it was meant to be used for, to go fun off, having fun off-road. 
And I told my wife, I said, well, I bought it to go off-road with. And a few weeks ago, I put a dent in the back of it. Andrew and I still don't know how that happened. It's still, every time I look at it, like, Ugh. And I was like, well, I could go get it fixed. But the problem is, the rest of the truck's scratched up. And I'm probably going to do it again at some point. Now, if I just drove it around like a Barbie truck, and a Barbie truck, by the way, is a truck that's all done up that you don't do anything with but drive it around and look pretty and smile. Um, if I had a Barbie truck, I'd go get it fixed because I want it to look all pristine and pretty, but I use it. it has My father-in-law, he used to buy new vehicles, and I could not fathom spending what he spent on a truck and take it out in the field and run it. Like, how do you do that? And he says, well, it's, it's, he told me, we, it's, it's a farm truck. Well, I'm thinking, well, why don't you buy a beat-up one for that then? But God didn't give us this earth just to sit back and don't touch it. Hey, there's oil over there that you can use to help grow society, to give cheap energy with natural gas in nations that, where people are very poor and would otherwise have no heat. Don't touch that. No, he gave it to us to use. Now, are we to destroy the earth to do it? No, we're good stewards. We need to figure out ways to not destroy the earth and do it. But the fact of the matter is God gave us these things, these minerals and all these things to use, to develop. God gave us a beautiful world, not just to sit back and say, oh, that's pretty, don't touch it. I think I was in, I forgot what art museum I was in. It was, I think, one in D.C. I had a, there was a Van Gogh, and I'd get up next to it and take a selfie. I got escorted away from that really fast. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's the point? It's there, you know, I'm going to get a picture of Van Gogh. But this world isn't just meant to not be touched. Notice he says, be fruitful, fill the earth. Now, does that mean we have a hundred billion, you know, I don't know how many people, we have trillions of people, if we had trillions, you're supposed to put a trillion people on the earth? Probably not. But he told us to manage it. We're also here in part because when we're created in the image of God, part of the, our mission too is to reflect that image to others. When we look in, uh, uh, whoops, I skipped Genesis 2.15, didn't I? Yeah. Genesis 2.15, when God placed Adam and Eve, or Adam in the orchard, you know why he put him there? To care for it and to maintain it. And so we're here to care and to maintain the earth. Now, in Ephesians 2.10, we're told, for we are his creative work. Notice that, we're his creative work. Having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. God has a plan for your life. Paul builds further on that thought in, in uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been buried with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul understood that our purpose in life is to reflect Jesus in every area of it. When we look at creation... The Bible tells us that it's evident that there's a creator. But you know what's funny? It's not evident to everyone. And so what we have to do, we can't just assume people are going to believe in God because of what God created. We have to show them Jesus. We need to tell them about Jesus. We need to show them Jesus and how we live. Because so many times we haven't done that. And we've got people that we love, that we want to, them to be with Jesus, to fulfill their purpose in life. If you miss your purpose in life, your life is not the same. I know I spent all those years working with the, in the factory with the company, and, I, and, it, and it was great. It's paid for a lot of things. It took care of things. But if I'd have spent, I'd say I started there when I was 18, so gosh, I, I would have been there, what, 40-some years now or whatever. I can't do my math anymore. But it would have just been, okay, I'm making money. I'm spending money. Not much of a purpose. Hey, Jeff, what would you do with your life? I worked in the factory all my life. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't my calling. 
And when I started to say, you know what, here's what my calling is, it changed my life. It gave my life purpose. You got to realize that you're part of something bigger when you're in Christ. It's not just about you. And we'll see that in our final passage here. So we're going to look at our passage again, and then we're going to add Genesis 2.18. Then God said, let us create humankind in our image after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his image, and the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. And then verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a companion. I will make, I will, I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. I often wondered in the beginning why God didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time. Why God took the rib that holds our waistline in to make Eve. I think it's because Adam was having to name all the animals and he didn't want to have to argue with Eve about the names, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going there. But anyway, uh, the third reason we're commu- created was we are created for community. When God created things, what did he say? It was good. When he created man, he said it was good. You know, in creation, the only time he said it wasn't good is, his, is after Adam has, has named all the animals, he's been doing things. God looks at Adam and says, man, this is a sad commentary. Um, this isn't good. Adam, you, you shouldn't be alone. So he made Eve. And I bet when Adam woke up, it says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I bet he was like, whoa, wow. Thank you, God. And by the way, God did great making you ladies, too. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But when God created Eve, or Adam, he was alone. And God says, this isn't good. Now, notice God is not alone. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're in community. They're in unity and community. And when we get married, what happens? We're in unity and community because we're called to be one flesh. And God created us male and female so that we could have partnership. We're supposed to be in community. We are communal creatures. Notice that God said, let us create man in our image, community. God is communal, communal. He is in communion with the, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God created us to need, to need relationships. And I know some people are, a little, are introverted and so on and so forth, but ultimately, if you want to torture somebody, put them in solitary confinement with no human contact and see how long it takes them to go crazy. That's how they torture people, by the way. When we're baptized into Christ, we're not told hey, when you rise out of the baptistry, well, good luck, get out of here, you're on your own. Hope you make it. What did God do? He gave us a church family. He gave us a family to be a part of. He gave us a community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, and let, us, and let us take thought of how to spur one another onto love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings as, a habit of some, as, it, or, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and even more because you see the day drawing near. See, on one level, what we do is we tell people, accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Personal. Okay, on one level, He is. He's my Savior. He's your Savior. But God never meant your faith to be personal. He meant it to be communal. He meant your faith to be shared around with people around you. He meant for your faith to be lived out in community. Why did God give us the church? He gave it to us so that we could experience Jesus together. We are called to encourage one another. You can encourage one another if you're just out in nature by yourself. If you're sitting at home in your PJs habitually watching services, sipping down the coffee, stopping for commercials or whatever, 
Because how are you going to encourage somebody by sitting at home? How are you going to encourage somebody when you're all by yourself? God didn't create you to be that way. He gave us the church for a reason. Hey, when you're sick, please stay home and watch us online. But when you're healthy, you should be here. Why? You are here to encourage other people. Let me tell you something. In the United States, we're proud of being what we call rugged individualists. I don't need anybody to get anywhere. I can do it on my own. But you know that attitude is not biblical at all. It works for the United States, per se, but as a Christian, that is an unbiblical attitude. You are not a rugged individualist. You know, when I came to Jesus, when I was baptized into Christ, if, the, if after I was baptized, they were told, okay, go home, and you had no church family, and you just watched sermons online and such, I would have never grown. You know why? Because when I first started going to church, I've told you this before, I only went to sit next to that lady and to hold her hand. She couldn't get away from me. It was great. Loved it. I did not go to listen to anything. I didn't care about it. I made some friends, but I didn't really care about that. And the first preacher they had that was there, man, he yelled at people, and I do not like yelling. I told my wife who got married, my house will not be one where we yell and scream at each other. That will not happen, because I was raised in that. I will not tolerate it. But when you get a preacher up there yelling and screaming at me, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, dude, you're whacked. But the next guy that came in, he had rededicated his life to Christ in this church in the 70s. He was a retired uh, first sergeant, I think. I know he was a drill sergeant at one point, but he, he was a retired military man. When he got up there, he just commanded respect. I just saw him as a dude, and I'm just like listening. And then as I listened, what I was doing is I was listening, but I was watching because I was raised in a faith where, and this was my experience, maybe nobody else's, that you send all you wanted all week, go confess to the priest on Sunday or Saturday night, and go do it again on Sunday or Monday, and cycle it, recycle. And I saw so much hypocrisy, it just turned me off. But when I started looking around that church that my wife went to, I started seeing Jesus in people. People were treating me with love and respect. We'd hang out with her friends on the weekends, and they were the same on Sunday, on Saturday as they were on Sunday. It was amazing. And so there were so many people that encouraged me in my faith that never knew it. Charlie Bardison, he was one of the Sunday school teachers. I had no filter in that point in my life, none. I'd say whatever, if it came here, it came out here. And I can't believe, she had them many times, he's sitting there just like, oh, please just shut up. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> but Charlie just showed me so much love and care. Uh, Robert Gregory was another one of my teachers that showed me just respect and showed me love. Henry Campbell, one of the elders, I never had millions of conversations with Henry, but I saw his faithfulness. And I saw my friend Brian, who took me into, under his wing and taught me a lot of things and showed me, more importantly, a lot of things. These people encouraged me in my faith. And there's many people in that church that I, that I could name names all day. I remember most all of them. Even though I can't remember a lot of stuff. I remember most all of them because they impacted my life. They didn't sit down and have Bible studies with me, but just their presence in my life encouraged me. You being here today, you don't know. You might have encouraged somebody on the other side of the church. You don't know it. But see, we're called to be in community. To live your faith out, sitting on your couch by yourself, is selfish Christianity. It's not, it's not biblical. I understand when you're sick, but sitting at home on your tail, instead of being in the worship, wherever you go to church, you should be there encouraging one another. That's what we're called to do. The thing we need to realize is we're unique we're loved in God's eyes. We have a special purpose. We're called to fulfill that purpose. And when you live your life without fulfilling your purpose, that life becomes empty. We're created to be in community with other believers. 
God created you because he wants to spend eternity with you. You're no mistake. You're no accident from a monkey. You're a creation of God, and your identity is found in him. Next week, we're going to hit lesson three, where it all starts to go awry. I hope this past week you spent your time in your Core 52 book. Hope you've listened, uh, worked on your bio, on memory verse, because if you don't spend any time, you're not going to grow. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and sing a song of decision. And if you have a decision to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to sing a song of decision. And during that time, if you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling and need prayer, you're welcome to come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you. One of our elders would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing our song right here.
The many times that I have felt the world was crashing down upon me. You always stood here by my side. You were always there. Oh. You were always there. You were always there And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here always right here. Praise God. You may be seated. Before we go into our time of communion this morning, uh, Lori Schmidt came up this morning. Her, her husband, Schmitty uh, Adolph, passed away this week. And um, just be in prayer for her. And Adolph, Schmitty, he was just, uh, just such a wonderful, wonderful guy. He served his nation with distinction. And um, we're going to miss him, and we're going to keep uh, Lori in her prayer. So let's pray for her right now. Father, I pray you be with Lori and her family as they mourn the passion of Smitty, Lord. He's in good hands, and we're thankful for the life that he lived, the love that he shared, and for this, the joyful presence he was. And Father, we just thank you for the legacy he's left behind. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. During this time of communion, we, we think of the issue that Jesus died on the cross, that what the cup represents, you know, his blood that was shed, the bread represents his body that was broken. But one of the things that sometimes we maybe don't dwell on too much is the word sacrifice. And I think many of you in this auditorium understand what that was and this is in the sense that you've made great sacrifices to serve your nation. You sacrificed a lot of family, time, some of you sacrifice seeing some of your kids grow up to be there with them. So you have an idea of what sacrifice. And we've seen people make the ultimate sacrifice where they've given their lives for their country. And when we take our communion this morning, we want to focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made. Because the sacrifice something means that you're giving up something that you hold dear. And Jesus treasure. I know he loved his life, and he loved us. And he loved us so much he was willing to take from us, for us, what was, what was due us. And so when he went to that cross and he died on the cross and he rose on the third day, we, we think of that joyful raising of the third day, but that anguish that he had before he went to the cross shows the level of the sacrifice he was going to make. But he did it because he loves you. So as we take our communion, let's reflect on that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this time that we can remember the sacrifice that your son made for us because he loves us. 
Father, I pray that as we take our communion this morning, we do, for, do so with joyful hearts and thanksgiving in our hearts for what's been done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. My name is Ken Martin, and I have the honor of representing the elders of First Christian Church this morning. So as I tell you what we're getting ready to do, first I'd like to call our current elders and deacons forward, please. This is a privilege and an honor. It's a precious time that we get to set aside some gentlemen for the leadership and the service of First Christian Church. First of all, I'd like to call forward Dale Stetson, who today we are going to ordain as an elder for First Christian Church. Jesus Christ is the Lord of his church, founded upon the conviction that he is the Son of God, redeemed by his blood, nourished upon his word, upheld by his intercession and guidance. The church is his body commissioned to do his will. Elders were named in each congregation and given oversight in spiritual matters. Paul speaks of this responsibility in his charge to the elders at the Church of Ephesus 
in Acts 20, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, and among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We have come together today to set apart for service Dale Stetson as an elder here at First Christian Church. Dale, I charge you as an elder to guard yourself and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to be a shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be a friend and a Christ-like example to all. By word and by example, bear up God's people in their pain and weakness. Celebrate their joys with them. Hold in trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Encourage all to persevere in God's promises. Be wise in counsel to those who need support. Strengthen the ministers. Know the scriptures, which are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You are being set apart as an elder. This title means overseer and shepherd. Are you willing to accept this task and commit yourself to be a shepherd a guardian, a leader, and an example for this family of believers. Thank you. Roger, I'm going to ask you if you would lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for giving us leadership that can keep this church going along the path that you have outlined for us. We thank you for the, the men that spend the time to study your word to know how it works we pray now for Dale Stetson that you will be with him that you'll give him good judgment that you'll give him guidance and help in facing all of the various little trials that come up we pray that he'll be steadfast in leading this congregation forward that we may always stay on the path that you have defined this we pray in the name of Jesus Amen and now I'd like to call forward Francisco Ramirez Ramirez, I'm sorry my mouth is getting tied in knots Francisco has been selected as a deacon for First Christian Church as such that means he will be service a servant for the church and you know that he has already been doing that um Deacons see to the physical matters of the church, that facilities are available and equipped, that the property is well-maintained, and that physical needs are met in service to God. In Acts 6, we read, But select among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. I charge you, Francisco, as deacon, to inspire faithful stewardship in this congregation. Mind us that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Teach us to be merciful. Prompt us to seize new opportunities to worship God with offerings of wealth, time, and ability. Therefore, minister to rich and poor alike, both within and outside the church. Be compassionate to the needy. Respect their need for dignity Hold in trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Encourage with words that create hope in their hearts and bring joy into their lives. 
Let your life be above reproach. Live as examples of Jesus Christ. Look to the interest of others. You are being set apart for the work of deacon. This title means helper and servant, one who administers to needs. You have been selected by the members of this congregation to serve Christ Church here at First Christian. Have you prayerfully considered and are you willing to serve Christ in this ministry? Will you perform your ministry so that it brings glory to God and honor to Christ Jesus? Thank you, Francisco. Dale, I'd ask you to lead us in prayer for Francisco. Father, we thank you for our servant here, that you will give him not only the ability and the wisdom, but the spirit to do the task which you have given him. I thank you for my brother here. I look forward to seeing what you're going to do in and through him with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I caution you, it doesn't end there, because it's still your responsibility to support these men. So, for Dale, do you as a family of believers here at First Christian Church continue to hold the office of elder in, honest, in honor as ministers of Christ Jesus, support in prayer, and provide encouragement in the continued work in God's kingdom? If so, please respond, we do. And for Francisco as a deacon, will you, the body of Christ here at First Christian Church, continue to lift up in prayer this servant who has chosen to serve here at First Christian? Will you support and encourage the work of these men as they serve you in the name of Christ Jesus? If so, say we will. Thank you so much. I challenge you to keep these men in your prayers. Thank you. Before we uh, hit, get our announcements, I want to show you our memory verse video for the week. Okay, we're ready to memorize core verse number two. But before we do, it's a pretty short verse, let's review the three rules for memorization. Rule number one, repeat, repeat, repeat. Say it until you can't say it or hear it any other way. Number two, hands feet. The more your hands are moving, the more your feet are moving, the more quickly you'll memorize the verse. And rule number three, 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 three minutes to memorize one verse, three days before you can say it without looking at it, and three weeks of repeating it every day for it to be permanently in your memory. So with that in mind, let's review last week's memory verse See if you can still say it without looking at it. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, verse 1. Again, we're going to say the reference and then say it at the end again, just to embed it in our minds. The more you can locate, even if it's just the chapter you remember, the more easily you're going to be able to find and use these verses for your own spiritual growth. Okay, we're ready 
for core verse number two. This is Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Again, another really short, pretty easy verse to memorize. Then God said, and notice the hand motion. I'm pointing up to God and then speaking out. Then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said, let us, and I'm going to look to the left and right, like a Holy Spirit on the left, Jesus is on the right hand of God. So let us make man, and just, you know, just a little fist together. I don't know, pounding something into a lump of clay or something. Let us make man in our image. I'm just going to kind of circle my face. This is my image, our image. So let's put that all together. Then God said, 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 let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. I know it feels silly, but trust me, it will make it permanent. Let's put it all together. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. One more time. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Well done. All right, so hopefully uh, this week you'll be working on that. Uh, a lot of them are pretty, not hard. There's going to be a couple of them that'll be a little more difficult. Um, Young at Heart meets Monday this week at noon. The office will be closed on Monday. Uh, Lori's group be begins on Wednesday. Al Brandon's group meets Wednesday. All the adult and teen studies meet. We're going to be at Olive Garden on Friday for prime time. And if you want to go to that, make sure you sign up either in the back or online before five, uh, five o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, men's ministry gathering, 12 o'clock at the Annex building here Saturday. If you're a man, you're invited. And so we'd love to have you come. We're, we're starting to launch some new men's ministry things that I'm real excited about. Francisco has been heading that up, so that'll be great. Um, Roger's group will not meet tonight. All of Jerry's groups are meeting this evening. Um, giving statements is in the bulletin. If you gave last year, you should have a giving statement in the mailbox over there. Also, there's going to be a sing, going to be a singspiration at Whetstone Christian Church, 28th of January, at 5 p.m. I think that's all the announcements that we have for this week. Um, on the inside of your bull, or in the bulletin, we have our prayer requests and stuff. We encourage you to look those over. We got a thank you note from the acting president of Boise. They said we're very grateful for your support of this vital work and pray that you have a happy new year. Uh, the missions ministry team, because of your generosity, we were able to send them $10,400 to help them with some things that are going on at the college so we could be a blessing. And it's thanks to your generosity that we were able to do that. So we're thankful to help them. We have many other concerns in the bulletin. We ask that you take, look, take note of those and be in prayer for them. At this time, let's stand together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then the band will lead us out this morning. Father God, we thank you that we can be here today. I pray, Lord, that as we live life, we live it with purpose, that we understand who we are and that we get to show people who we are through you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.